You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 30 today. Um, starting in 30, and we're going to cover 31, chapter 31 as well. Um, if you guys were with us, if you've been with us, we're, we're in the, the series Unexpected. We're looking at the life of Jacob uh, and on all of the unexpected things that happened to him during his life. Uh, and today we get to a story where a lot of unexpected things happen to him like we've seen already. Um, but, but past few weeks where we've been tracking Uh, Last week, particularly, we looked at the story of Leah and Rachel and how their father Laban kind of changed the deal on Jacob. And he worked seven years thinking he was going to get to marry, like I said last week, his hot cousin because things were different then. And so then he gets done with the seven years and Laban says, no, you need to marry Leah because that's how it works in our culture. And you need to work seven more years to marry her sister, her younger sister, Rachel. And so he works those seven extra years, and then we see this kind of vengeful, spiteful uh, fight of pride and judgment between Leah and Rachel when it comes to having kids. And that's kind of how we ended last week. And so this week we, we end seeing, we pick up seeing Jacob is kind of ready to, to part ways with Laban, and, and that's kind of where we're going to be picking up today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 30. We're looking at starting in verse 25. It says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for, you know, the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you will do this for me. I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they will be my wages." So honesty will be will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every uh, everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if he is found with me, shall be counted as stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and the female goats that were speckled and spotted. Everyone that had white on it. Uh, everyone that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in charge of his in the charge of his sons. He set a distance of three days journey between himself and Jacob and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So they make all this whole agreement that Jacob's like, look, under my care, what you have has grown exponentially because of the Lord. And so I have basically given you great wealth, but I don't want anything. I'm going to pasture your flock and all of the flawed lambs and goats. That's what he means when he's talking about the speckled and the spotted lambs. Those were seen as kind of the lesser. They were the the ones that weren't flawless. It was like, oh, those are just kind of the, 
the duds. And so that's all Jacob asked for. He says, let me go through and let me have kind of your, your leftovers, the ones that aren't, don't quite measure up. He doesn't say, look at how much I've blessed all that you've done, so let me get all the good stuff because it's really because of me that you have all of this. He says, no, let me just take the, the scraps. And even that, Laban says, okay, and then he takes all of those lambs and goats that are speckled and spotted and he gives them to his sons so that they're in their care and not in Laban's care. So now Jacob has nothing. So again, like we've seen over and over, Laban makes an agreement with Jacob and then changes the rules. He says, you know what? I know this is what I said. Change my mind. Can't have it. And so Jacob is, is dealing with this. So Jacob comes up with a new way to recoup his sheep that he's, he's lost by impacting the breeding process. And you can see in the next few verses that basically he, he kind of puts some different sticks and things into the feeding troughs of the, the lambs. And that impacts the breeding process so that the lambs that are white are producing speckled and spotted offspring. So he grows his, his sheep that way through the putting of the, the sticks in the water. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I'm not a geneticist, but I don't know how that affects the breeding process. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious if we look at it that it was probably the Lord that was impacting this and making the, the, the offspring of these sheep come speckled and spotted. Uh, and then we see chapter 30 end with this verse in verse 43. Thus the man, Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants, male servants, and camels and donkeys. What's amazing about that verse is when we go back to last week, even two weeks ago, when Matt preached about the, the angels descending and you know he sees the staircase to heaven, that, that Jacob, when he leaves his family, kind of fleeing for his life from his brother, he doesn't take a bunch of stuff with him. He doesn't get to take all these flocks and everything. It's just him and his staff. And he enters into Laban's land and, and works there for 14 years for, the, for, for his daughters. And now we see that Jacob, who entered with just a staff in his hand, now has large flocks, female servants, male servants, camels and donkeys. The Lord has blessed Jacob and increased. He's basically made him rich because of this obedience. He entered with nothing. And the Lord in his favor, he blessed Jacob. He had absolutely nothing when he came to Laban. And he also, not only did he become wealthy, but he made Laban wealthy. And we're going to see that. We're going to pick up in chapter 31, verse 1. It says, Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. So then Jacob decides he's going to part ways with Laban. He decides, okay, we're going to leave. The daughters kind of agree. 
Um, and so he packs up all his stuff and he leaves while Laban is off shearing all of his sheep. Laban goes off to shear his sheep and Jacob is like, all right, let's go. Laban realizes what's happened and he feels like Jacob has stolen from him. Because again, he doesn't understand that the Lord is the one who blessed all of this. And this is, this has taken place in about six years. It'll say that in a little bit, but that's important for us to know is that this isn't like two weeks later, he now has all these spotted and speckled sheep. This is six years that Jacob has tended the flock and kind of grown his own sheep from this breeding process that he has. And he's grown, he used the, the best and strongest of those speckled and spotted sheep so that he has a really fantastic flock of sheep and goats. And so Laban, though, feels like he's been cheated because he's like, he took all those goats and, and lambs, even though those were Jacob's because that was the agreement. So he accuses him. So Laban catches up to Jacob and he accuses him of stealing. And apparently Rachel had stolen some idols. You see that, that and she, she sits on them and pretends like she doesn't have them. Um, and so she has stolen these idols. Jacob is unaware. And so he's like, we did not steal anything from you and lets Laban go through and see all, all of the flock. And, um, and then he kind of has enough. Jacob kind of has enough. And he goes off on Laban. He, he lets Laban know, no, 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 you have treated me poorly for long enough. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 36 of chapter 31. It says, then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. You have found, have you found any of your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. Those 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day, stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night. And my sheep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years in your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If, God of my, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been by my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered Jacob, The daughters are my daughters and the children are my children. These flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for, your, for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Laban kind of says, kind of takes the position of the grandfather. He's like, you know what? Fine. I will, I will let you have these. You have my daughters. You have my grandchildren. I will not send you away poor. How gracious of him, right? <laughs> it's like, you've already tried to take away everything he's worked for. You have changed his wages 10 times. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that he says is uh, he, he accuses Jacob of leaving in the middle of the night. And he says, you didn't leave. You didn't let me know you could leave. So I could have thrown a party for you. I could have thrown a party and sent you off merrily. And Jacob knew better. <laughs> he's, he's just trying to make himself look better and say, you, you did this. I'm the victim here. You took away the opportunity for me to throw a party for you. So here we have Laban changing all of these things. 
And then finally he breaks down. It's like, okay, that's fine. Well, let's just make a covenant. We will have peace among us and we'll just kind of go our separate ways. And they uh, set up rocks as witnesses. And those rocks in that time represented their gods. And so uh, Jacob takes a rock and then his family takes a bunch of rocks. Laban takes a bunch of rocks and they set them up kind of as witnesses of this covenant. And so, but what we see, we'll come back to the, the pillars in a second. What we see in this story is the favor of God that rests on Jacob. So that's what I want to look at today. What is the favor of God? What does that look like today in 2020 in your everyday life? What does the favor of God look like? It's really interesting. I was actually writing this message when I found out about Chuck. And it it was in the middle of me working on writing the message. And I really struggled with it at first. Because here I am planning on talking about God's favor, and then I have Chuck get in this car accident. I was like, how do I? Okay, well, that doesn't really sound like favor that he got hit head on 90 miles an hour by a guy in a friend from the cops. And it wasn't an hour or two later that I found out, oh, he's totally fine, leaving the hospital. I think things like that can sometimes be examples of God's favor. And again, he wasn't a car accident. <laughs> so you can't say it's like, well, everything's perfect. But today I want to look at what that means. Look at the life of Jacob. How does the favor of God work today? First thing I think we need to do for the favor of God is to position yourself to receive blessings. You have to position yourself to receive blessings. We have to look at the fact that Jacob had been obedient. Jacob had been living a life in obedience. Did he do some things that might have fallen in a gray area? Sure, but he wasn't disobedient. He wasn't disobedient. He had positioned himself in a good way. At no point had he rebelled against God. He had been living a life faithful to God in a land full of people who didn't believe in God. And we know that because of two things. First thing is, Rachel, she steals the gods from her father's house. So her father clearly had idols set up in his house, and she stole them. So we know that the people that Jacob was living around were not faithful to God. These are people that had many gods. And then I talked about those pillars and the rocks they had set up as witnesses. Those rocks represented their God. So where Jacob takes one rock, and he says, I have one God. And he will be my witness. And then all of his, his family that had come with him, that they had all these other gods. And so they had set up a mound of rocks. And Laban and his family, they set up a mound of rocks because they had a mound of gods. They had all these different gods that they were serving and worshiping. But Jacob was faithful. In a land where the people were, were pushing against him, were chasing after all of these other gods, Jacob remained faithful and knew there was only one God. He still held the belief in the one God, regardless of what people around him. He didn't let their lack of faith determine the depth of his faith. He had positioned himself to receive blessings by clinging to God above everything else. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 through 33, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, 
saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Or when he says Gentiles, he means the lost people. They seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we don't really live this way. I think we really take a look at our own lives, face value, sitting in church at 1135 on a Sunday morning. We would say, yes, I see God's kingdom above everything else. But I don't think that's true. I, I think we oftentimes seek our own comfort. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we seek our own comfort. Much less do we <laughs> seek God above our needs. We frequently put our comfort ahead of that. And that's what this passage is saying. It's to seek God not above, not just above your comfort, not just above your wants, but above your needs. Trusting that God is going to take care of you. And that's not me saying, hey, you don't need a job. You just have to sit around and read your Bible all day. That's not what I'm saying. Don't take that away. Don't go quit your job tomorrow. My preacher told me I just got to worry about, I don't have to worry about my needs. But we have to trust and seek his kingdom above those things. We can't say, oh, well, I have to eat. So I don't know that I can obey God in this area. Jacob, if he had wanted to, so many times could have just rebelled and said, I'm not doing this. I need to eat. I need my needs to be met. I'm leaving. But he waited until God said, go to your, go, leave. He waited and was obedient. John 15, starting in verse 7, this is again Jesus talking. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Listen to this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Full. That your joy may be full. Through abiding in Christ, through keeping his commands, through abiding in his word so that he can abide in us, so that his joy can be in us and so that our joy can be full. That's what we need to seek after. Isn't that what you want? You want a life full of joy. Shoot, if you think you don't need a life full of joy, just go ask some people out there how they're feeling right now. Turn on the news. We are looking for lives full of joy. And this is different. I want to very much specify because I think this is kind of a, a line that is, is hard to walk, but uh, this is different from a life full of wealth. I don't want you to hear me say these things and make it sound like I'm teaching that, you know, if you follow God or if you donate money to my private jet, then you will be rich. That's not, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not saying that. There's a big difference in wealth and in joy. Jesus says, if you do this, then your joy may be full. He doesn't say your bank account will be full. He says your joy will be full. And which one of those is really going to last us, if we're honest? 
our joy. If we find joy in doing the will of the Father, doing the Father's will will give us lives full of joy. And like I said, it doesn't mean you will be rich. It also doesn't mean that you will never have problems. That's the second thing we need to know about God's favor is you still have to be ready for the storms. We still have to be ready for the storms. Because Jacob still went through hard things. Just because we follow God and we're obedient doesn't mean you're not going to go through the rough patch. It doesn't mean you're not going to get in the car accident. Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, it says, For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And you see it happen. You see godly people who get cancer. You see God, people who follow God that lose their jobs. Bad things still happen. We still go through rough things, but the, the key is, is that nothing is too big for God. Amen? Amen? Nothing is too big for God. We serve a God who isn't scared of our problems. He doesn't get overwhelmed by our situations. I think the best example of this is when uh, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples and there's this storm that is just tear, like smacking the boat, tossing it around. This is the disciples are terrified. And where's Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. Jesus is asleep in the boat. And the disciples are freaking out and they go to Jesus and they say, we're going to die. Again, I think sometimes we read the Bible and we think, oh, they said we're going to die. I don't, nobody says we're going to die. People freak out when you say we're going to die. And so they go to Jesus who's sleeping. They're like, how are you asleep right now? Do you not know? Do you not know the storm we're in? And what does Jesus say? Do you not know who's on the boat with you? He gets up and he says, he calms the sea, the wind, and the waves. He goes back to sleep. <laughs> you know, it's like, do you not know who's on the boat with you? Doesn't mean you're not going to get in a storm. Just means you've got the creator on the boat with you. You still have to be ready for the storm. I know we talked about Jacob. He had prosperity. He had a lot of good things. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You still have to prepare for the storm. And honestly, we shouldn't expect a comfortable life with Jesus. For us to expect a comfortable life following Jesus, seeking first the kingdom of heaven, is foolishness. Because Jesus told us the opposite would happen. He told us that the world would reject us just as it rejected him. And how did the world reject him? They killed him. They put him to death. He told us that we would face trials of many kinds, that we would suffer for his name's sake. If we're seeking comfort because we're scared of the storm, you might want to look back at that last point. Position yourself to receive blessings. Recognize, uh, be ready for the storms. We have to find ourselves saying, you know what? I'm not here for comfort. I'm not here for comfort. 
Are we seeking comfort or kingdom? Because the rewards of the kingdom will dwarf the temporary satisfaction of comfort. There are preachers on TV who will tell you that your life will be easier if you follow God. But 10 of the 12 disciples were killed for their faith. will tell you the opposite. That just because you follow God doesn't mean your life is going to be easier. Because they were killed because of their faith. So for us to think that following God we are going to be means we're going to be comfortable, we are missing the point. We have a really bad habit of seeking comfort over the kingdom. But we also have to recognize that the things that we do have are from God. So the third thing I want us to look at today about God's favor is that we need to recognize the giver. We have to recognize the giver. <laughs> when I was uh, writing this, I was trying to think of um, gifts that I had received from my wedding. That it's like every time I use it, I remember this person that gave it to me. And I'm going to be honest with you, I couldn't remember a single one. Couldn't remember a single one. Now, I, I will say that early in our marriage, you know, you get out the cutting board and you're like, aww, this is from so-and-so. And that happens for a little while. And then you get to the point you're like, who gave us that again? Who? The ones that I do remember are gifts that I'm like, why did you give us that? <laughs> like, those are the only gifts that I remember. But the gifts that I use all the time, I more focus on the gift than the giver. I've separated the two. And so the Texas-shaped cutting board that we have, because Maddie's from Texas, and if you know Texas, people from Texas like to tell you they're from Texas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and instead of thinking, oh, this is from so-and-so, I think, oh, yeah, that's the cutting board. The gift has, over, has dwarfed the giver. I'm more focused on the gift and the giver, and I think we tend to do that in, in our own lives. We get more focused on the gifts than the givers, than the giver. James chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Which gifts? Every. Every gift. Every good and perfect thing is from the giver of gifts. Do you think Jacob understood that? Do you think the guy that walked into to Laban's territory with only a staff and is walking out with a family? With a, <laughs> 12 kids? <laughs> with <laughs> flocks of sheep, herds of, of goats and camels and donkeys. Do you think he understood I know where these gifts come from. When he set up that one rock to say, I have one God. Do you think he understood? Do you think he remembered who gave him those gifts? Do we do that? When you pull up at your house today and you see it for the 4,000th time, do you remember the rock that gave you that house? Do you remember the God who positioned you there? When you lay down 
in your bed at night, do you remember that the air conditioning you have, that the bed you have, is because of the giver of good gifts? Do you recognize that the job, that the family, that the car, that, that everything you have is from the giver of gifts? So when we live in obedience to see the favor of God, we have to see it. We have to position ourselves to receive blessings. We have to know that storms are still going to come. And then we have to remember the giver. Jacob understood this, and that's why he didn't turn his back on God. We have to realize that we have the good and can get through the bad because of God. We have to start seeking the kingdom over comfort and know that we will face trials and suffer for his name's sake. Trusting that he will provide for us and that every gift we get is not from our goodness or from luck, but from the Father who loves us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I just want to thank you for the favor that we've experienced. Or maybe... Maybe we've never thought of it in that way. Maybe we've never looked and seen that the things that we have are because you are good. That the storms didn't overwhelm and sink us because you have been in the boat with us. God, let us be people who live positioning ourselves to receive blessings, not for the sake of the blessings, but because we love our God and we know that what you have is good. It is far better than anything we could do on our own. God, let us be people. Please, God, let us be people who seek your kingdom over our comfort. Let us sacrifice that. God, let your kingdom be more important to us than our own comfort. Let us be people who go and who love you. And let us not forget to recognize the giver of the gifts that we have. We love you, Lord. Let us be people who build your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen.